This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is Now You're Talking, the show about the most interesting people and stories of Mississippi. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey, editor-at-large at Mississippi Today. And I tell you what, today we have definitely one of the most interesting people and stories of Mississippi. We have blues legend Bobby Rush. He toured for years before he ever had a hit record and was 83 years old when he won his first Grammy, and he's now won his second. Today, we have the pleasure of sitting down with him and going behind the scenes of his new autobiography, I Ain't Studding You, as you just heard, My American Blues Story, which, by the way, I read it over the weekend. It is fantastic. I would say five stars out of five stars. Great book. And I'm not just saying that because he's sitting here right across from me. Without further ado, let's just go ahead and welcome into the show Living blues legend, Mr. Bobby Rush. Bobby, number one, I'm glad you're a living blues legend. Yeah, yeah, that's it. The living <laughs> dude is more important than anything. The exactly. <laughs> but thank you, Marshall, for, for being so kind to me and inviting me here. Thank you. And you all, not just you all, but the whole station, everybody's involved, been so kind to me to invite me here. When something was going on, when, when it wasn't going on, when things was up, when things was down, so that makes me feel like I'm a part of the place here. Well, you are a part of the place. You're yeah. part of Jackson. We've yeah. loved having you here. I had the honor of interviewing you a few years ago, yeah. I think it was, and we talked about that, yeah, why yeah, you moved yeah, yeah, here yeah, yeah. and everything. I'm so glad. But, I too, I know you had a really bad scare yeah. with, with what could have been COVID. COVID. You, you know, yeah. you were really yeah. sick. Yeah, and so, yeah. uh, but didn't seem to slow you down too much. No, uh, well, it slowed me down for a moment. But uh, when I think about what it could have been, I'd be so thankful for what it is so uh, you know, I'm a believer, so that's a personal thing, and I just get up and go, and and that's it's kind of like when I'm writing this book, and when I wrote this book, what I was thinking about, all the things I've been through, all the downs that I've been in, all the valleys, and also the hills, but the good overtake the bad. What I want people to get from this book, to look at this book and look at the image and look at where I've been and what I've done and say, if I make out of this, you can too. Amen. Amen. I, you know, that's the thing. I, I was so moved by the book, A, because A, it's good history. I mean, yeah, it's so yeah, neat. Yeah, yeah. To, you know, I learned more about the Chitlin Circuit, I yeah, think, from yeah, your book. Yeah, and, yeah. And, I, and I knew a little bit about it, just even from the BBK yeah, Museum yeah, and yeah. so forth. But that and realize how it influenced entertainment as a whole. So it's a good history book, but it's a great primer if you want to get into, yeah. like, show business. Yeah, you want to show me. And, and, and learn the business if you get into it. You know, that's what I'm, that's right. what I kind of learned it mistakenly, but it was, it was so good because I didn't have nobody to help me, Marsha, right. to do the thing. And I had to learn and through my mistakes and what have you. But I learned that if you learn from a mistake, it's really not a mistake. It's a stepping stone to what you should or should not do. Amen. You know. Amen. Um you know, since we last spoke, uh, the new album, Rawer Than Rock, yeah, came out. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I love uh, um, Janitor 
<laughs> I used to be a custodian, so yeah, I kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I kind of was like, hey, that's my song. I yeah. love, it, but I love it. It's it's stripped down. It's raw. I know you it's were raw. you were in Duck Hill doing a, a yeah, show the I, other I, night. On Friday night, on Duck yeah. Hill, and, and sold a lot of books, and a lot of people came just to kind of see me. And the and, and the book was a lot of reason people came there because they come to get the book along with they know me from the record standpoint, but they want to see the other side of me. Yeah, you know. Yeah, no, and, it and it's selling really well. They're doing another printing. Oh, they're doing another printing today. The they're they ordered another 10000 so that made me feel good. I'm so honored and blessed. I'm not saying that from a brag standpoint. I'm just letting you know how blessed I am, how thankful I am. I think what I got out of the book, and I think this is important for anybody who's got a career and a passion that right, wants right. to do it, to, to understand that sometimes things don't come overnight. No, this well, they, they said, well, Bobby Rich an overnight success, but that's about <laughs> 70 years. <laughs> well, that's the thing, because yeah. you really did start really young on that. And by the way, congratulations on the second Thank Grammy. Because you, you took like your first drink of alcohol, I think, on, you know, 1950, champagne. 1957. I had, yeah. You know, I, I did a lot of things I shouldn't have done, uh, Martian, and, and, and I regret doing the whole thing. But if I had to do everything over, it wouldn't be much I've changed. Yeah. You know, everything about the book is true, but maybe a couple of things I talk about. I went to sleep with a fat woman on mo. I made a lot about that. You know, <laughs> but other than that, <laughs> it's, all, it's all straight. I ahead. would press you for details, but I, I figure that maybe get us both into yeah, trouble yeah, here on this. Yeah. But, but you, you know, I, I think you said like, was it with muddy waters you had to drink? Oh yeah, muddy yeah. waters. Yeah. and then muddy you, then, the, then the third time you had the drink was when you won the first Grammy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, and no, I had the second drink. Oh, second I, drink. I, okay. I, that was the second drink, and I won the first Grammy. Eighty-three years old. Well, it's time for me, man. Come on. First Grammy at 83 years old. Man, let me have a drink. See, there's hope. I might win the Pulitzer someday yeah, now. Yeah. So you're giving me some yeah, inspiration yeah, here yeah. on that. But that, that was fantastic. And then, of course, you won the second one. Won the second one. And, you know, this, Marcia, this was something I had did, like a demos. Everything I do, like my guitar and the harmonica, I do it at demos at my house. Then I take it to the studio and bring the band in, and that's what we play. Yeah. But this particular time, I thought about I couldn't go out to work. I said, well, I can't go out to work. Nobody can go out. It's all verbal stuff and all Zoom stuff. Let me just pull some stuff out of the can. So I went in, and it was hard for me to pick these songs because I was trying to pick guys from Mississippi who I looked up to, not the, not the better men, just someone I, I looked up to. That was Mississippi guys because yeah. the Mississippi guy gets low in the stick for everything we do. Mississippi, period, got it going on, but everybody think Mississippi on the low end of the stick about everything. So I want everybody to know that the blues come out of Mississippi. It's the root of all music. If you don't like the blues, you probably don't like your mama. You know, it's I, the mother of music. The first time I spoke to you, I, I interviewed you. I think it was 2012. I was yeah, trying to think right. on that, and we we talked about that. Why you decided to move to Mississippi? Why you moved to Jackson? Did you literally on a map, on a map pinpoint kind of it? Put it? It's, yeah. it's, the center, it's the center. It's the center of the of south. It. Yeah. And give you give me time to go out and work weekend and come back to be with my kids and the family and the whole bit and do the thing that it, that main do to be a father, be a dad, be a husband, and and be a, a good neighbor and do yeah. some things that you want to do around your house and shows in the neighborhood. That's what I was gonna say. You've really there's been a real civic aspect to your your life since you've moved here. You've really oh, God, you've yeah. given so much back to Mississippi too. Well, that's that's the whole plan. You know, I yeah. want to. Uh, gain more popularity to, to the public just so I can give back because I can't give back if I don't have anything to give. I yeah. want to be popular enough or other than making money 
to, when I come in a neighborhood or come to some people, come to political stuff and not to get into political doings, just have, best have a voice so I can speak my issue to help people who can't speak. You did, that the, you did that in the book really yeah. well, by the way, because you, you touched on some tough issues. And, and, you know, I think anybody who thought that it was easy growing up as a black entertainer in the time that you did it uh, well, I, is naive. I, you know, and, and so, I mean, you laid it out. You were honest. You were very brutal in I, parts, I, but it was very honest. I'll tell you, but the hardest thing for me to talk about even now is talk about my mother and father had 10 children. I'm with 10 sisters, yeah. what, five uh, sisters and four brothers and with me to make 10. And my mother, uh, many times, my mother, blue-eyed and blonde hair, and she was white when she had to be. She was black, my mama, when she wanted to be. And she was my, I was her baby. She was babysitting me, apparently, when we was in the public. And she was my mama when we got home. My daddy oh, was her yeah. chauffeur. Wow. And and uh, when she got home, that was her husband and my father. And, and those kind of things, kind of hard for me to talk about because just looking at that now, how my mother have to, like, save my daddy's life because yeah. people want to know why he's married to this white woman. And she was a black woman, but she she was on my mom's side. There's no black people. And wow. I don't ever talked about that openly. Yeah, there was a very powerful story about an ice man oh, who yeah. came in. Oh, yeah, 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 just, yeah. Just, and yeah. you know, you were you were blessed. You had two good. You had two great parents. Oh, I two mean, great parents. You're Emmett Ellis. <laughs> Emmett Jr. Ellis Junior. I'm named after my father. Now, now wait a minute. You were like the sixth kid. Seven. I'm the seventh. Okay. I'm the seventh. So how come they waited till you to, to make? Uh, they were waiting on me, man. Come okay. on. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I, said. I, I, I knew <laughs> the <laughs> answer to that. <laughs> they were waiting on they waiting on Junior. But yeah. you know, one day your dad he had a harmonica. Yeah, my dad had a harmonica all the time, but. I didn't know anything about the music, so I couldn't yeah. have didn't have no way to listen to music other than WLAC. Every now and then, I, my cousin gave me a guitar when I was about eight years old. I hid it from my dad because I thought my dad wanted me to sing gospel in the church. Yeah. I didn't want to sing gospel, man. I wanted to sing some low-down, dirty blues, man. So I hid it so I could learn the blues, not knowing my dad didn't know everything. You follow him everything. He said, bring that guitar here, boy. I brought it to him. He said, let me play a song I used to play. When I was a little boy, a little older than you, what I thought he gonna say, glory, glory, hallelujah. When I laid my burden down, I either sang a song about my mama, but he didn't sing about my mama, didn't sing glory, glory. He said, me and my gal went to Chanky Pen hunting. She fell down and I saw something. I said, wow, my daddy is a preacher? <laughs> yeah, I wanted him to tell me what he saw. Yeah. I said, daddy, sing it again. My mama said, Ugh. <laughs> I mean, don't say that kind of song to that. Let point. me guess, he changed the lyrics slightly. Oh, he at that changed point. the lyrics. He yeah. changed the lyrics. You, know, you know, but that's incredible to have that support. I mean, because you you were interested in music. You had made your own little simple one string guitar up until that point. Yeah, so. I made I made the simple uh, one string. They, later on, they called it Dilly Bo. But honestly, I didn't know about. I didn't hear the name Dilly Bo. I was so far back in the country. Uh, I didn't hear about Dilly Bo. Yeah. I heard Dilly Bo after I made the one string guitar. That's all I called it. And didn't know I was making a dealable, you know. But uh, those kind of things I tell about in this book. And so I'm a music man. That's what I, this what I know. That's what I love. That's what I do. That's what I sleep. That's what I eat. I am a music man. That I am. We'll just take a quick break. Okay. And uh, we'll talk about this. Because at age 11, 
<laughs> I mean, you were doing things that I think some of us probably don't even do until 25. So we're going to yeah, we're going to yeah. uh, bring that up in just a minute. By the way, Bobby Rush is in the house. He's in the studio. It's time for that quick break. But if you have a question or comment and you'd like to talk to Bobby Rush, you can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. So stay tuned. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I got high. You know, my friend turned me down on Bill Street. Seen everybody I wanted to meet down in Mississippi. Sure had a wonderful time. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. dress on you guys. See, don't, don't, don't put that on, baby. You know, that dress is much too short for you. Uh, you gonna put it on in a way? Well, when you put that on, baby, you look like a hoochie mama. You see my friend B.B. King, Tyrone Davis, my blue man, Lil' Milton, Johnny Taylor, and old buddy guy be winking at you. Uh, if you gonna put that on, baby, if you wanna be a hoochie mama, then I can be a hoochie man. Good morning. You're listening to Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey, editor-at-large at Mississippi Today. And today we have had the honor of sitting down with a man considered to be one of the greatest bluesmen currently performing. I think he's an all-around great guy, too. Bobby Rush is in the studio. Uh, he's been giving us an inside look into his new memoir, I Ain't Studying Ya, My American Blue Story. If you'd like to be part of the show, give us a call at 877-MPB-RING, 877 Seven four six four. Bobby, um, you've had a lot, a ton of energy since you were a kid. Oh yeah. You know, you got started when you were a kid, and I mean, there was one scene in there where you talk about you were like creating a mustache. Now, you got a, you got an awesome mustache now, but you but were using burnt matches to make mustaches. Because I was too young to grow the hair on my mouth, man. That's funny. I didn't have. I, I was take them big matches that my dad used to make fire, you know, because we had them living in the country. At that time, them big old matches, you scratch them and blow it out quickly, give me about 10 of them, and I would make me some boo man shoes, <laughs> mustache, and I'd put me a cap on and walk into the little club with my head down and try to talk low under my boys. Like I said, Bobby Rice, I said, yes. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you coming in? Oh, yes, I'm coming in. You know, like that. Yeah, I'm going I'm to play tonight. You know, kind of had this little light boy. So I, don't, I wasn't nothing but a kid. Yeah. But I tried to pretend I was 18 years old. So I kind of put my age up to do that. And I've been kind of caught myself lying in and out about my age. So when I was a child, about a midwife, that really was a birthday that I didn't have, have it straight on. So someone said, 1940. Some said 1936, some said 1933, once in 1937. So when it says the 1940, I, you know, after I was an old man, I wanted that one. I said, I'll take the 1940. <laughs> <laughs> but that wouldn't work because I left, left Louisiana in 1947, so that wouldn't work. So yeah, we, we knew I was older than that. So, But anyway, I, I said, if, if, if 
the age thing bother you if I got three or four birthdays. If that bother you, that's why I wrote this. I ain't studying you. If that bother you, I ain't studying you. <laughs> well, let's just go ahead and throw out that. What's the def? Now, the, let's not give the definition in the book because this is a family radio show. But, but seriously, what what is the definition of I ain't studying you? Oh, uh, uh, that's kind of like a what we talk at black men's and women's and mothers and fathers talked about in my areas and time when I came up. I, I'm not thinking about you. Yeah. You know, I remember one day I, my mom was cooking tea cakes, little, little cookies, and I would sit there and help her in the kitchen so I could get one as they get done. But the other kids, when come time to eat, I was full of cookies. So I would sit down with my other sister and brother and like I hadn't had any. And my mom would look at me and say, boy, I ain't studying you. I'm not giving you anything else. <laughs> so that means you that's it for you. If your mother ever tell you I ain't studying you, yeah. don't ask anything else. That's, that's it. You just don't say care. yes, ma'am. Now just yes, ma'am. Go on by your business. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you were calling out a bunch of names as we were coming into the break in the song. And, you know, I, I was sitting there listening to it and thinking about the book and about how much many of those names influenced you. Yeah. And, and you know, you had friendships with them. And one of the yeah. more intriguing friendships was your friendship with Muddy Waters. Yeah, Muddy Waters, I don't know what it is Muddy Waters liked about me. And I was, I can remember when I was like 15, 16 years old, Muddy Waters was probably 25, yeah. you know, this, and I thought he was an old man. Yeah. Uh, this took a lot of me. Abba King was another guy like that. And one guy was a little bit younger than I, but he really take that was Ray Charles. I'm talking about the people who really tried to help me in a lot of ways. Yeah. I remember going to Apollo for the first time. I had this band. I was playing top 40 music. Wasn't doing too much of my own because we just trying to play as an opening act for the big boys. And uh, the place where Sammy David Jr., all the guys had played. And I was changing my show around because I've been there four or five days. We're doing two shows a day and a man day on the weekend. I said, I'm going to change my show around. Ray Charles said, Bobby, Bobby, what you doing? I said, I'm changing my show around, Ray. He said, don't do that. If people are tired of you, go to the next town. If you got a good show, don't ever change it. So when I'm I, when people see me now, if my show is good, I change it. If you saw it before, you don't want to see it, then you stay home. I go, I either I go to another town. You yeah. had a, you had a real sense, even at 11 years old, of what it meant to be an entertainer. Because, yeah, I, I, and that was part of the reason why you know you had the fake mustache on and getting in, yeah, but you yeah. got in the second time with no problem because they knew you could perform. Yeah, if they ever saw me, yeah. I was just, I'm just I'm like that now. You know, I go on stage uh, in the front of my campus back in the day when Ever Preston was living, the late Ever Preston, BB, and all the guy. When I'm on the stage, man, I go for it. Cause yeah. that got me in trouble a lot of time too. I remember that. I went to Philadelphia, Teddy Pendergram, Lou Rawls. I was over the show yeah. and getting my first little big money over the show. Had 75 or 80 days. I got on the show and I just took over the show. The guys fired me, but they paid me all of my money and yeah. fired me. Say, make this star look bad. I didn't know that. Now I know how to make the star look, look good. I just play enough to keep to keep them on, keep me keep myself on the show, you know. But at that time, I was digging, man. I was just because I was trying to make a name for myself, right. and then no, I was they was kicking me out because if I make the star look bad, you know, you you off the show. You know, you could probably you never really like said, "Hey, Muddy Waters, can you give me a break?" You never did that sort of thing. No, 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 no. I I, I, I uh, Red Fox came and told me one time I was going to do a show in Rock Island, Illinois, myself, Red Fox, 
uh, Ike Turner. And the guy said, well, I really don't need no uh, body left to play, but I do need an MC and somebody who can tell jokes. He said, Mr. Walnuts uh, needs somebody like that. I said, I can, I can do that. He said, Man, you you a comedian? I said, well, whatever you want to call me, I can make you laugh. He said, you can't make me laugh. He's the kind of guy I never laughed. I said, well, yeah. I said, well, you know, I went by this lady's house the other night, and, and uh, the door was open. Country lady, I went in the house looking for her, and she wasn't there. But she came in behind me, and I, and I, and I ducked behind the door, thinking that she's going to uh, be afraid of me because I walked because I'm in her house while she was gone. As soon as she got close to him, I said, boo. She said, oh, you almost squared my panties off. I said, boo, boo, boo. <laughs> and he laughed. And he hid me, man. Yeah. And he hid me. See, you, you know? had a long history of that, though, because <laughs> you actually walked into, like, where they're laying bricks, yeah. and you told them that you were a bricklayer. But you did it. You ended up but, learning but I, but I, Yeah, but, but, I, but I could learn fast, yeah. man. I didn't know anything about it. I, I know how to make mortar put, to, and, and supply the bricklayers. But I know that I was getting, I think, of a 13 cent an hour as a labor. And these guys were making 25, 30 cent an hour. Yeah. How about 30 cent an hour? <laughs> and I went to, hey, I can lay brick. If you do a corner man, you get 42 cent an hour being a corner. I said, I can lay bricks. Are oh, you a corner man? I said, yes, sir. He said, when can you, can you start right now? I said, no, I can't start at noon. It was about 8 o'clock in the morning. So I figured if I start at noon, I could have four hours to watch the guys, you know. And I watched them, you know. And I'm pretty swift in the hand, and I remember a lot in my head. So I learned how to lay bricks, looking at somebody laying the bricks. And when I got on it, but he knew that I could do it, but he knew I would have done it fast enough to be a pro at it. And he, he said, hey, come on down here. Let me talk to you. He said, man, you lying. He cussed me out. He said, but I'll tell you what. You eager to do it, you got the job. He gave me the job because of that eagerness in me, you know. Yeah. Well, you always hustled. I, I mean, always Yeah. Shit. It's always been hustle. I mean, you and and I hear you make some mean barbecue. Oh yeah, yeah. I had a barbecue house, and I'm and I'm a good cook, man. Yeah. I'm a good cook. I'm a good cook. Good fish. I'm a good cook. Uh, you know, and yeah. I haven't did everything just right. right. And the people see this in the book. I'm honest about it. Everything I haven't did just right. But if I had to do it all over, I don't know too many things I would change. But I mean, you know, you know in hindsight, you look back everything yeah, you did on that. Yeah. In the book, you talk a lot about the fact that even though you've had a very long, successful career and you've toured all over the country, and audience love you and everything, um, it took a long time for this uh, for you to get a hit song. And you know, and and I guess yeah. well, Chicken Heads was probably yeah, the first, well, the really first big, big yeah. record. I had some well, record, but it was because I was trying to do some things that uh, what I was. Uh, listening yeah. to it from a radio standpoint. But then when I did Chicken Head, I just went for myself. I listen, man, I'm a comedian. I'm a writer. Let me do what I feel. Yeah. So Calvin Costa, so you have a song? I said, yep, I got a song. So what's the name of it? I said, Chick Head. He said, oh, we yeah. can't do a record like Chick Head. <laughs> he said, oh, we're going to cut it. Then I told him, I said, Daddy told me I'm going to die in bed. Give up your heart. Don't lose your head. You came along. What did I do? Lost my heart and my head went too, which had nothing to do with the chicken. He said, we need a B-side. I said, I got a B-side. So what's the name of it? Mary Jane. Oh, yeah, man. I had a woman did me wrong named Mary Jane. And I wasn't talking about a woman at all, you know. So I had me some softer there. So I said, well, I got me two guys. I don't know what, what I'm talking about. Let me just <laughs> use this. <laughs> and that's what happened. And it came up to be a number one record across the country. That's incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. Um, and that's been kind of the trademark of your lyrics ever since. I mean, you yeah. just always have some really, I mean, porcupine. Well, well, come uh, on. But seriously? I tell you, you're right. Yeah. I, I, t I talk about things as truthfully, but I talk about in a funny way. Like the yeah. guy run off, the lady run off with the garbage man. I talk about uh, 
big leg woman. I talk about bow legged woman. I talk about I want I talk about a lot of things. Porcupine meat. Porcupine. Which I wasn't talking about a porcupine at all. <laughs> I'm talking about being in love with someone that you know they don't love you. You can't leave them alone. That's porcupine meat. Too fat to eat, too lean to throw away. You know. Yeah. And I figure if I if I did leave her alone, she'd probably find a relationship with some old guy who worked at the radio station. <laughs> <laughs> and there I am outdoors, and then come on, I just say, well, I I, I just park it by me. <laughs> you you start, you know, as a professional bluesman. Of course, <laughs> when you there's no, you can't go get a college degree to learn how to no, be a professional no. bluesman. You see, so you've got to watch other people. And and I was, you know, I I play a little bit of harmonica, nothing yeah. <clears throat> like what you play and everything else. But one of my favorites was Little Walter. Oh yeah. And you tell some great Little Walter stories, but I mean, he's his harmonica playing just. I can really hear little, his influence in your harmonica. Yeah, playing. Little Walter was one of the best hard players. And he was a, one of the best thief in the world, too. <laughs> you know, you could hear Walter was living on Troy, and I was living on Albany, which is two street back to back, my back door, his back door. I said, Walter, get up. I told Little Rock and wake him up on the way. What you doing, man? I'm just getting up. I said, I got a lick for you, man. Give me a lick. I put da down and down and down and down. And you hear the next two weeks on a record. Oh, he could. And he could do it better than you. He'd really steal a lick, you know. And he had a Cadillac with a trunk full oh, of money. God. Oh, I, I thought he, I thought he was rich. But apparently he wasn't rich, you know. Walter probably was, was making $15, 20 a night. I was making five, so that's more than I was making. <clears throat> we went to Waukegan. He was set, he set the bar up with about eight or nine ladies in the house, get them all beer. But that time, you could buy a quarter beer, one with 25 cents. And he'd buy two or three quarter beer, that's 75 cents. I thought that was a lot of money. He was setting them up, everybody pouring, you know, got the glass with the quarter beer, you know. And I said, he, by two hours, he said, Bobby Russia. He would introduce me as his little brother. This is my little brother. And the lady was kissing me because I'm a little Walter, little brother. Man, I love that. I love the little brother thing. But he said, I got to go get some more money. Now, we're 25 miles from his house. I said, more money? I said, man, Walter run out of money. Now, I'm thinking about leaving these girls because I'm getting, getting kissed every two minutes. He said, he went out to the trunk. He said, I thought he had to go home. He raised his trunk. The trunk was full of money, $1 bills. Just for full. And if you count them, if you got two or three hundred dollars, about all, because they're just, they're just loose in the trunk. It wasn't stacked or nothing. They just throw it in there, like balled up, and he just throw them in the trunk. And anyway, he set the trunk down on it, a couple of dollars was sticking up out the crack of the. And I pull him out. He said, Get that out, blood. I pull that out. And he opened the trunk up. He said, Get you a handful. And I got me a handful, being nice. His trunk and his money. I must have had. $12, $15, just as much as you could pick up in your hand like that. <laughs> I got back in the counter. I had about $12, $15. And I said, man, how you get this money? He said, playing harmonica, boy, blowing the harp. I said, I'm going to be a harp player. That's it. Because he rich. That's what I thought. He probably, if it was, if it was $300 in the truck, he was looking at you. Know, I thought it was a million dollars. <laughs> well, it's time to take another quick break. And I tell you what, let's go out with a little bit of porcupine meat. So don't go far. And we've got the one and only Bobby Rush in the studio. So don't forget, if you'd like to ask a question or have a comment, you can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Stay tuned. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. 
like porcupine meat. Too fat to eat, too lean to go away. Like porcupine meat. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey, today of Mississippi Today. And today we've had the honor of sitting down with a man considered to be one of the greatest bluesmen currently performing. Bobby Rush is in the studio. And I tell you, the hardest part about this interview so far is that we just don't have enough time. We just There's That's so much I'm to get in there. <laughs> Bobby, I'm enjoying it. I really am. Thank um, you so much. Folks, if you, uh, you need to check out his new book. It is I Ain't Studdin' Ya, My American Blues Story. It's by Bobby Rush, of course, and with her pal, her pal, um, of course, is a historian, a music so, historian right, as well, right. and I couldn't think of a better choice to have somebody co-write a book oh, with yeah. you. Oh, yeah, and who knows me well and knows the black culture well, did a lot of things with Earth, Wind, and Fire, and many other people. He just, He's just a guy who knows about the music and the people who do it. Yeah. You know? how, did you come up, how did you come up with the idea of getting Herb to help you? Uh, listen, looking at his work, yeah. and I just want somebody who understood what I do, and he was close to... Anyone that I could find that knowing this past that I have been, where I was, and where I'm trying to go. Yeah, I mean, if you you <clears throat> want somebody to talk about the Chitlin Circuit or yeah, about yeah. Pine Bluff and the blues right. history there and so forth, <clears throat> you know, he knew that he didn't have to go read and Google. He, he didn't know how to Google that. He yeah. knew about me enough. Then, then Marshall, I wanted, I'm so blessed. I wanted a few guys who crossed over, never crossed out, to yeah. have this massive white audience and black audience. Not many guys would yeah. have that, you know. Even the BB didn't have that. Yeah, he didn't have that early in his days. He had it, but and at the end of his days, he did not have that. Right. And what you know? you, you talk about BB King, and we'll we've got a caller in just a second. We're going to jump in on that. But you mentioned BB um, appearing on Red Fox's show, you know, on Sanford and Son. Yeah. And that's you know people don't understand the importance of a the Chitlin Circuit yeah. and the legacy that it left for our every, yeah, from Sammy yeah. Davis Jr. to everybody else how it influenced and it doesn't get enough credit that's to be right. honest with you, but the fact that BB you know he showed up on that show and suddenly that's his right. audience changed that's right yeah but uh, but that happened to to myself and a lot of other people what had happened when I changed because of because I made some changes some going to some places that that white people understood me and didn't know about yeah. me but now they do know about me you know right. But, well, and two, I mean, you've mm-hmm. always been very loyal to the audience that brought you. Oh yeah, I've been loyal to the people that uh, that brought me across to, the bridge. That brought me across, man. Yeah. I've always, always been that. You know, let me say to you for, uh, before we get too far, because this, 
I want to thank you for what you have done, what you're doing, what you plan to do, because what you say and do with and by me is what people perceive me to be. So uh, without people like you, a lot of people wouldn't, I wouldn't be who I am now. Same thing we were talking about B.B. King. If he, if he didn't be on the San Francisco Sun, a lot of people wouldn't, a lot of people wouldn't have knew where he stood and what he'd done. So he crossed that and, uh, and, and crossed that bridge. So I'm in a place now where I really crossed the bridge, but I'm careful of not crossing out yeah. where I come from. Definitely. We have Eric from Liberty on the mm-hmm. line. Eric, welcome to the show. What's your question mm-hmm. or comment for Bobby Rush? Good morning, everybody. Uh, I had the pleasure of meeting Mr. Rush in Natchez about, I'm going to say probably about six years ago through a friend of his in you're a real friendly guy. But my question is, is I saw you in, I believe it was the movie Dolomite. Yes. By Eddie Murphy. And I wanted to know the name of that song you were singing, because, I mean, you were killing it. I Ain't Studying. The name of this book that I've written is called I Ain't Studying. That was the title of the uh, song I did on the movie, I Ain't Studying. Okay. And, okay. and, and, and the and movie track is my soundtrack of the movie, I Ain't Studying. All right. Well, I'm definitely going to have to get that because, I mean, you were showing out on that stuff. <laughs> well, I tried to. <laughs> thanks, thanks Eric. Great call. Great call. Appreciate yeah. it. We got Daniel from Baton Rouge who's on the line. Hey, Daniel, thanks for calling. Yeah, this is Daniel from uh, Pasagoula. Oh, hey, Pat. Okay. <laughs> Listen, um, oh, once again, I got to thank Mississippi Broadcasting for bringing one of our legacies on there. You know, not just an African-American legacy, but all of the South legacy, Mr. Bobby, because because of that chilling circuit, people got to understand our struggle. People got to understand where we came from. They talking about erasing history, about what happened in the past. But see, if, when it comes to music and food, because he, he barbecued, yeah. it, it is so important in our lives. This is what brings us together. This is what hooks us up, and I'm glad it's coming through Mississippi because once Mississippi showed the world all the things we went through, through our culture, our music, then the rest of the world will understand we got to make that change. And we thank you, Brother Bobby. Well, thank Thank you, man, I'm glad you mentioned that because, see, everything has changed, but all the things have changed remain the same. See, the chitlin stick is, is still here, but it's in another fashion. Because, well, the Chitlin Circuit used to be in the same neighborhood. Now you got white owners who own them. And in the cotton field in the Delta, you got casinos in the cotton field where cotton used to be. And they still have black people working in the casino for the same price that was picking cotton. So it still exists politically. In the book, and one of the things that I really, you were very honest yeah. about the things that you experienced and you went right. through. And I think, and I'm sitting here reading it going, okay, yeah. he's being real here. Yeah. It's, it's, so, it's so real to to me as a child, it was kind of normal. Yeah. You know, because that's all I knew. Because in my neighborhood, I'm, I grew up in a little uh, poor country child, and I thought everybody was poor. And I was content with that. Of course, now I was raised up maybe a little bit different from a lot of other people because I didn't know anything about the racial thing as a child because of my mom being blonde hair and blue eyed. I was able to do some other things then. Then in my church, it was all black, and my school was all black. So I didn't know about some outside racial thing. Because when I got in Chicago looking for a better way to life, 
and thought I could be have privilege to do some things that I couldn't do in the South. I ran into a brick wall because I worked behind a curtain where they wanted to hear my music, didn't want to see my face. And I, and to me, that was kind of normal. When I said normal, I had fun with, because I knew they couldn't see me, right? So as a young man, I would have a girl on the stage with me on Friday night, another girl on a Saturday night. Sometimes on Sunday night, I have both of them. That I would play a little. Oh, well, anyway, you got the message. <laughs> and, and so I had fun with that. That's the way I lived yeah. my life. And, and knowing they couldn't see me and I couldn't see them. So I found peace within that in order to uh, survive life. But here, you know, you think you're about to get your big break, chess records, yeah. you know, you, and you pick up a contract and you're reading and you're like, I, I don't know about that. I, I, I wasn't yeah. trying to read. I was just, yeah. I thought Bo Dilly was sitting there, uh, Muddy Waters, uh, Willie Dixon, Lil Walter, a uh, couple of other guys were sitting around. And I said, wow, this is going to be good. Look what they're doing. That yeah. was the union, 10 and 208, was merging. So now we get represented as well as the white players. Yeah. I said, this is going to be good for us, man. We're journeying. That's what we should do today, journey. Yeah. Okay? That's what I was looking for, man. And our, uh, Leonard said, where that boy get that information? He said, off your desk. He threw it to me and said, read that, boy. What did it say? I said, the union is merging. And I read it. Bo Dilly was a person, one of the one guys, one of the one guys who really laughed. I thought he was laughing because what I was reading was funny. I didn't know what it was. When he said, turned to his brother and said, we can't use that N-word yeah. because he can read. Wow. And I didn't get the job. I recorded at chess, but not, not far chess. Bobby, there's some <clears throat> really touching and moving parts in the book, and probably there's some just parts that you read and just kind of just pulls your heart out. You've lost three children. And you write about that. How hard that, that must have been incredibly hard to not only think about it, but to sit down and write about it and, and tell that story. I bit. can't put it in words. I remember when I got married at 18 years old to Hazel Adam. She had three sisters, six, eight, I believe in nine. They came to Chicago to live with me. And her mother and father came to live with me. Then after that, she and I had three children. My first daughter, she passed. My second daughter, which was my third child, she passed. My only son at that time, he passed. Then two of her sisters passed. A year or two later, the other sister passed. Then her mother and father and 10 years later, she passed. So that was all of my family. But I found peace in in my biblical studies. I found a way of holding on for what I believe in that a man should never give up. And the rest of it came from just out of the sky. God just embraced me with his love. And my music, I leaned on to my music. When times are rough and tough, I would shut myself up in the bathroom for two or three days at a time, and I would say what I'm going to do from here, and I would play my music, play my guitar, and a whole bit. Those were some hard times. I guess maybe the one of the hardest times I ever had other than that was in 1963 when I had an accident coming from Rock Island, Illinois, 
one truck hit my station wagon and flipped me over, myself and a drama called Robert Plunkin. There was another truck hit him and until 10 trucks hit each other, and they all got burned up. I dug a hole in the ground and covered myself up, myself and the drama. And when the state troopers or somebody, whoever it was, came by and they flashed a light in my face, someone said, well, look like everybody burned up. Anybody else you see live? One of the guys said, no, just two N-word. They're in the ground. They're already buried. Oh, my gosh. And they left us that. Those are things that it's hard to talk about when someone leave you in the ground just because you're black. But I don't want people to feel sorry for that. I just want you to let you know that I made it out of that. Life goes on, and I know your life goes on. I'm speaking like this because I know Black life matters, but our votes matter most. A foot been on my neck for 80 some odd years. I know if I can make it, you can too. And we can have love for each other and treat other, treat each other like we wish to be treated. That's my motto. And I'm here to tell you now, I'm planning to do everything I can do. Because when it comes to time I can't do what I need to do, I won't regret what I did not do. We have Savannah from Jackson who has a a question for Bobby. Hello, Savannah. Thank you for joining us. Hi. um, Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you so much, first and foremost, Mr. Bobby Rush, for everything that you have done. Um, I just, I absolutely thank God for you. And I am definitely, definitely in the process of getting your book. Um, I can't wait to read. I ain't studying you. Um, and I just wanted to say that uh, my father, uh, God rest his soul, was Chick Willis, uh, the stoop down man. And he uh, was the first person to introduce me to you. I've met you a couple of times. He was the first person to let me know that I was living amongst a celebrity. Um, and I just wanted to know, because he always spoke so highly of you, if you had any sort of memory with him. Because unfortunately, I, that's why I'm so grateful that you're writing, that you've written this book and that you've come out with this book about your story. Because so many blues men like yourself didn't get to tell their story because they didn't reach you know, the the pinnacle that you reached, but they walked that same walk with you. And so I just wanted to know if you had any stories um, about you with my father. Oh, God, yeah. I got that. Uh, we don't have time to tell all of them. I, I remember one time we were in Kansas City, Missouri. That's where you worked a long time. And I know, I, I know you as a kid, and I know your mom, you know your dad. Uh, he was very close to me. We were working for, in Kansas City one time. And they had the lights off, myself and him and Joe Simon. They had the lights off in the dressing room. I came on the stage with a white shoe on and a black shoe on. They thought I was hip. They thought I was a real hip. They said, oh, look at Bobby Rush. He's hip. And I looked down, didn't know I had the wrong shoe on. And everybody thought I was cool. <laughs> and I, and what, Chick, Chick said, do you know you got the wrong shoe on? I said, no, man, I don't have the wrong shoe. I have the right shoe on. And I had to, but he thought then at the moment, he said, oh, doggone, that is cool. The next couple of weeks, he had a white shoe on and a brown shoe on, <laughs> trying to <laughs> trying to imitate me. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Oh, yeah. thank you so much for that. And thank you. Just, he loved you. I love you. We all love you here. Well, thank you. Thank you. Love you. Tell your mom and all this. I say hi. Will do.
All right. Thank you, Savannah. That was a fantastic call. That was wonderful. That, that yeah. That's cool, though, that, you know, she's able to call. Yeah, yeah, your, yeah. I guess she was a little kid. Yeah. I remember. Her. Let me. I was just about to, right now, just to let you know, he's wearing two white shoes. Yeah, 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 yeah. He thought I was. I didn't know what that what that the dress room didn't have no lights in it. You know, you know. My, back in them time, it wasn't really no dress room. It was a little place they had just for you to go change clothes in it yeah. on the ground outside show. You know, but that's life, and life goes on. And many times I've been in places where you didn't have no place to sleep. I used to go around to the back and get something to eat. But now, you can do all these things in a different direction. It's almost like if a man beat his wife, he learned not to beat his wife. Now he's still a wife beater who learned not to beat his wife. But we don't have a desire to beat your wife. That's what's happening. See, I have a desire to treat every man like I wish to be treated. You know, you can have a... a you can go drive your car down the expressway, the speed limit up there. It's up there because some guy just a speed. But that some guy won't speed if you didn't have to sign up because they don't have a desire to speed. That's for the desire. The one who the sign is up there for the one who who'd have a di- desire to st- speed, you know. You use buses as a metaphor. And, of course, your your bus um it was pretty fancy. I mean, you got old seventy threes trailways. That, that that was your way around. One day you it's were coming from I a can afford, man. Yeah, well, Come exactly. On. No, but you were just doing it to be cool. I understand. Yeah, That's okay, cool. But but then your your driver had a heart attack. He had and, a heart and attack. And you got a bad wreck. Yeah, I had a heart attack. Probably after you drove about. We just had left uh, uh, Tallahatchie. Maybe thirty forty minutes. So we wasn't tired. He just got out to bed twelve one o'clock at night. And uh. Drove about less than an hour. He had a heart attack at the wheel. And next thing you know, you're pinned in wreckage. Yeah. And it created a sense of urgency for you, didn't it? Yeah, I, I, I didn't know how dangerous it was until I heard him talking. Said, let's get the tank out. Someone, someone make sure we drain the tank. I didn't know what they were talking about, trying to get it because the gasoline tank, and they were yeah. trying to make sure that I wouldn't pin near the tank or whatever it was because they wanted to cut it out. They didn't want spark flying as they cut it out. So I learned that after the fact. Well, I I bring it up just because, you know, you're in your mid-80s now, you know, and so you don't really take uh, for granted what's next. But let me ask you this question. What's next for you? You've you've had a really good run the last few years. Yeah, I'm I'm thankful for that. I had a real good run. I had the Kobe and... Papa thought I had. Let me tell you what's up about You're so pretty darn sick, so. I caught the Kobe in Nashville two years ago on February 28th. It took me, my, my son taking me to the hospital. It took me almost two weeks to get the test because at that time nobody had it. In yeah, you had to literally go to China right. to get a test. And it took me two weeks to get the result back, two and a half weeks. So that's four and a half weeks. If I had it, by that time, I'm, it's gone. Yeah. So who knows? And But God knows. He had his hedge around me and protected me. I'm so thankful for the nurses and doctors who didn't have didn't know to do anything, but at least it was kind to me. My family, my son, who is a policeman here in Jackson, Mississippi, who taken me there and nursed me back and did everything he could do for me. 
now I'm back on the road trying to work a little bit now. I have a band member. Some of them been with me. My drama been with me 38 years. And most of the guys been with me 18 to 20 years or better. And I'm, I'm going back to work now, working a lot of acoustic date by myself, but I'm also working a lot of date with the band. And I, in order to give them work, I'm working a lot of date with the band. Now, I'd rather work the dates by myself, but I got to give you guys some work. You yeah. know, that's, that's the guy who been with me so long. So I'm kind of working now to make sure they make a living. You know, it's been wonderful just knowing you and knowing your story and now knowing it even better from, you know, I ain't studying you in my American Blues story, which is a fantastic book. But I'm just now, every time I see you have a little bit of success, if you get named to the Blues Hall of Fame, if you get yeah. named by Rolling Stone as the king of the Chitlin circuit, yeah. it just means that much more because, you know, you, you've deserved it. And it's good to see you getting it. But Marcia, see, I've been through so many valleys, but I have so many hills. I've been through many bad things, but the good thing overtake the bad thing. Out of all the things that I've been through in life, all the things I've done that I shouldn't have did, wish I had did something different. Out of all the things that I didn't have an opportunity to do, some things are coming forward now. I don't have no chip on my shoulder with nothing or nobody because everything I did was did to me. Most of them I did it to myself by not knowing because we perish for lack of knowledge. And I, and, I, and I just thank you for inviting me and talking about this book. It ain't just another book. It's my life. It's my story. And I know other people have a story just as good or, or even worse or whatever this is your story. But this is my story and hope you learn from it and let you know that if I can come out of all the things I went through, you can do the same thing and we have to be work hard and be a unit joining hands and do things together it's not about a black and white issue with me it's about a man and woman issue we gotta love each other put it back together let's do it together thank you bobby i appreciate that thank you for sharing your stories with us of course it's a production of mpb think radio if you want to listen again check out our podcast stay tuned for southern remedy healthy and fit with josie bidwell this is now you're talking on mpb think radio we will see y'all next monday 